Hello friends and welcome to your Friday edition of the Kings of Anglia podcast. Mark Heath, Stuart Watson here with you. Everything's been pushed back a day because of Easter, so hopefully you haven't missed us too much. We rotate the squad, we go again. Stuart, you did some seriously heavy lifting over Easter while your compadre was sunning himself uh, abroad and then at the Maybush. Um, then you took a couple of days off, which meant you missed Tuesday's pod, rest, re- rehabilitation, recovery. Are you ready to go again? I'm uh, ready to go. On to the next one. You've been doing your stretching, your meditation, getting the right nutrition in you? Yeah. Yeah, it's all, about, all of it's that. All, it's all about the process, isn't it? It's all about the milk. If you look at um, Harlan's Twitter timeline today, he's preaching the uh, the milk being his... Uh, is, that, is that his secret? His secret, yeah. How much milk does he drink a day? I have no idea. Well, maybe we could find out, and I'll um, I'll move on from the eggs to the milk. Just I need down to know now. of the stuff. Lots of dairy in the diet seems to be key. Um, so I want to know if it's full fat milk. Is it skimmed? Is it semi skimmed? So many questions, Stu. You can imagine kids at school, um, if they still do. I think with the little ones, certainly my daughter still gets milk at school. I don't know when that yeah. stops, but they probably all hate milk. But now. Now Harlan's drinking it. I bet all the lads are like, yeah, keep filling up the glass. More Absolutely. milk, please. I used to drink pints of milk when I was a kid. So uh, I haven't turned out like, like Harlan. So it's obviously the wrong milk. Um, also, my, my my genes probably weren't quite as impressive as, as his. Um, Stewie, we've got a little bit to talk about since we last spoke. Um, so let's dive in straight away, shall we? The most interesting story this week, and certainly the one that's performed right up there in terms of people reading it, was the uh, furore, the rumpus the kerfuffle around the referee for tomorrow's game. Shall we start there? Do you want to uh, bring us up to speed? Because this, I find this extraordinary, Stu, that A, a referee would share publicly which team he actually supports and, and B, that he's allowed to do that. Yeah, I'll truck circus into the mix yes. for, for, an, uh, for an example of what, what this story is. Um, I'll go through it sort of chronologically, proper mm. peek behind the curtain stuff in terms of my minor role in this story, because I, I want to play sort of full disclosure in this because yeah. you're always open to accusations of stirring the pot. And this is a story about professionalism and integrity. And then some of that shade gets thrown on us as well. So let, let me talk you through the timeline of this. What day are we at now? Friday. Friday, aren't we? So yeah, yesterday morning... Um, you weren't working. Andy and I were having a bit of a morning meeting on the phone, having a chat. And yeah. uh, Andy says to me, you've seen all these messages we've got coming through about the referee tomorrow. We've been tagged in by, I don't know, half a dozen or so Ipswich fans. And it was starting to gather gather a bit of pace on, on the timeline um, with a link to the original story from, I think it's 2021. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah, a couple of years ago mm. uh, in which referee James Bell who had been assigned to tomorrow's game initially, um, had allegedly told Ryan Lowe, the Plymouth manager, pre-match, Ryan Lowe was a former Sheffield Wednesday striker, how he used to sing his name on the on the terraces, being a Sheffield Wednesday fan growing up. And Ryan Lowe post-match then said, well, he was fine chatting to me before the game, telling me how he used to support Sheffield Wednesday. And then when, the, when I wanted to talk to him about an incident in the game, he suddenly didn't want to know sort of thing. So that that became sort of public knowledge at that moment in time that James Bell was a, was a Sheffield Wednesday fan. Of course, every referee, I believe, at the start of every season has to declare which team they support, uh, if any. 
most will, as we all do growing up. Um, and I guess they that's taken into account when referees assigned to, to football matches, derby matches, things like mm. that. Um, so Andy and I kind of discussed whether, is it the right thing to do a story on this, to kind of make it a thing, to kind of add some more fuel to it? And I was umming and ahhing about it. And then TWTD did the story, just simply saying that the referee is a Sheffield Wednesday fan and here's here's the prior evidence. Mm. I think if it had just been listed as kind of, if it had been found in the depths of a website on the PGMLO website, OL website, that, you know, James Bell brackets Sheffield Wednesday or whatever, I don't think that would have been caused to do a story. But the fact that there was that, those quotes from Ryan Lowe, the fact that there was then a subsequent follow-up story from Keith Hackett, the former head of the referee, saying <clears throat> wasn't that smart of James really to have been talking about his his fandom as kind of you know keep keep that sort of thing quiet really mm. wasn't wasn't great from you James so all of that kind of meant and the fact that somebody else had done it from a media point of view that's where our media professionalism comes in you you you, you know it's a it's a good story immediately mm. you're thinking this is going to be this is going to get loads of comments loads of views online doesn't always mean it's the right thing to do just because you know it's going to be a talking point. But I was umming and ahhing and all those factors went into it. I rang the club and said, is there anything you want to say about it? Um, I think quite rightly they they decided that they didn't want to pass any sort of comment. But the feeling from the club at that moment was that hopefully common sense prevails. Um, and yeah, the, the referee change changes, uh, which has ultimately happened. Um, I believe Ipswich did raise some concerns mm. with the, the refereeing authorities about it. And uh, yeah, this morning we woke up to the news that the referee had, had indeed changed and James Bell has been taken off the game and Sam Barrett has replaced him. So I've got mixed feelings about it. Um, yeah, let, let's, well, we can discuss the sort of the, the bigger discussion around it now, but that that's the nuts and bolts about how this, this kind of situation unfolded over the last, 48 hours nice one proper peek behind the curtain stuff there Stu so Sam Barrett I assume is a Plymouth fan is he <laughs> <laughs> he's given he's given two penalties against Ipswich this season oh, has he? okay he has <laughs> he's done two games he did the, the the opening game of the day of the season against Bolton at home if you remember when a jet lagged Leaf Davis gave away a penalty mm-hmm. yeah yeah um and he also did the Cambridge game away from home more recently when Christian Walton saved the penalty to stop Pips, which going 2-0 down, and that, and that ended 1-1. So, um, yeah, I, I just anyone who's listened to this podcast for a prolonged period of time knows that I hate talking about referees. I think it's boring. I think when fans mm. chant about referees, I think when fans go to football matches and get really sucked into refereeing stuff. It's not why I love football. It's not why anyone loves football. Uh, The thought of getting sucked up in all the VAR nonsense higher up the pyramid fills me with dread. Mm. Um, But here we are. Here's here's the situation. And it doesn't... I just feel the whole thing feels a bit awkward. And it's hard for me to talk about it because we've played our own small role in, in bringing some publicity to it. But... This whole thing was avoidable. I just think that this was a lack of foresight from the authorities that should have been aware of. They just obviously haven't clocked the situation. Mm. And um, it put James Bell in a really awkward 
situation. I don't think I had to really clarify on Twitter yesterday because obviously then there's a deluge of Sheffield Wednesday fans on the timeline. It now doesn't look the optics of this isn't great from an Ipswich Town point of view. You've had the the international break situation recently where the game was off for two call ups when it, instead of three. Now we've got that oh Ipswich have stamped their feet, inverted commas, and, and managed to get a referee change. So it's not great from, from an Ipswich optics point of view. But I think once there was in that much kind of noise and chat around the referee, it was going to put James Bell in a really awkward position. I'm not In any profession, I think your professionalism overrides any kind of fandom. Yeah. I support a different team to Ipswich. You support a different... Team to Ipswich, Macaulay Bond is coming back to Ipswich to play as a Charlton player tomorrow, which we'll get onto in a minute. Footballers, managers all have teams they support and routinely come up against them, but doing their job overrides all of that. And I'm sure James Bell would have, would have been fine on this, but it just would put him in a really unfair situation. Once there was enough noise surrounding this, I, I just think every decision that he made would have been under scrutiny and it was probably just wise all parties to to pull him out of the line of fire. Yeah, you're bang on, Stu. I mean, from my point of view, A, as you say, it was totally avoidable. I'm staggered that the referee's kind of partisanship is allowed to be public anyway. Clearly, Mr Bell, um, no suggestion that he would have been any way partisan in that game, but the mere, the mere knowledge that he is a Sheffield Wednesday fan means that any kind of borderline decision in that game going against town would have come under huge scrutiny, wouldn't it? And it would have put him in a really, really difficult situation. So ultimately, the sensible and right outcome, I think. Um, take him out the firing line. As I say, no suggestion he would have been in any way biased, but that would have been an, an inevitable conversation had there been any kind of controversy in the game. I think it might have gone the other way, if I'm honest. I think he would have probably felt that, you know, in order to prove his professionalism, even on a mm. subconscious level, he might have actually gone gone the other way and just those those little... 50-50 ones that he's not sure of in his mind might have just tipped, tipped the way of Ipswich to kind of prove a point. Mm. Um, now, you could argue that the referees' sort of bodies are probably not feeling great about this, thinking, you know, they'll pull, pull ranks and think, well, I've had a mate pulled off of this game now because mm. Ipswich have said this, and maybe it tips the other way to sort of think, well, if you're going to mess about and change the referees, I don't know. Ultimately, I think I don't think it will make any difference. Referees turn up and do the best job that they can do under difficult circumstances. I wouldn't want to be a referee. I don't understand anyone who does go go into refereeing, Um, but we need them. They keep the game going. And um, let's just, I really, really hope that this isn't a major talking point come 5pm tomorrow, that it's just a moot point and the the football overrides all of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it almost certainly would have been had had he stayed on the game. Um, there would certainly have been narrative around that, wouldn't there? But um, now, as I say, I think the right decision made all round and we can move on, Stu. Which, shall we move well, on now? Oh. Yeah, I mean, just ultimately, James James Bell has been refereeing main, mainly championship games this season and Ipswich, yeah. on paper, have ended up now with a lesser referee for this game because um, Barrett uh, has kind of been doing a mixture of League Two and, and League One games this season. So... Um, yeah, you, you you could argue that because of because of uh, all of this, they've ended up with a, a lesser referee for the game. But 
Ipswich have been on a roll at home. They've won their last five. They've been scoring goals. Hopefully, uh, we we get another of those situations, and, and the referee thing gets just there sort is, of ta- taken away completely. Yeah, there is absolutely no conversation because Town has smashed Charlton seven nil. Um, so let's move on, shall we, to to some uplifting, exciting news. This is the I find this absolutely staggering, and again. We are we are guilty at times of being quite blasé about this ridiculous support that Town have had and ha- are having. Um, season tickets, Stu, explain this to me. So they've already hit the the target or the or the cap for season ticket sales for next season. Is that essentially what what it is? Uh, they will have done by five pm today, essentially. Wow. So at the fans forum last Tuesday night, Mark Ashton um, addressed the hundred or so fans in the room and, and many, many more watching via YouTube and said, if you want a season ticket, I urge you to to act quickly because they're going fast. Um, fast forward to, to yesterday and Ipswich had to announce at around half past one yesterday that the early bird deadline is closed with immediate effect because <laughs> they're going so quickly. We need to give an opportunity to those last remaining fans that have currently got season ticket hold season tickets, whether it's a half season ticket or a full season ticket, we need to give them the option to to renew. Most of those are on the direct debit, which uh, is an auto renewal. Mm. And there's about two. Th- so Ipswich have currently got just shy of 18,000 season tickets. 16,000 of them have already renewed. There's about 2000 left that have, that haven't renewed now. Ipswich wanted to give them an opportunity to 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 do that, so they were getting so close to this cap of twenty one thousand that they just had to call call a halt to the early bird deadline and and give a little twenty four hour window just over to those two thousand to see if they want to renew or not. So um, yeah, the feeling is that come five pm today, they will have hit that twenty one thousand, pro- probably marginally exceeded it. Stu, that's. It's not normal for for a club in League One. I know they're on a very much upward trajectory, but mate, that's that's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, nay normal, as Paul Lambert would say. <laughs> um, yeah, a club a club in League One that is hopeful of being in the Championship next season, but yeah. by no means is that a slam dunk at this moment in time. I think that will be the most season ticket sales the club has ever had. Mm. You're going back to sort of the early two thousands. Um, just after relegation from the Premier League with with sort of some swashbuckling football under Joe Royal since we've had anywhere near those sort of numbers. Um, amazing. Mark Ashton, this comes from the standards being set from from the ownership down. Mark Ashton, on the podcast that he did with, with Andy and I, towards the early stages of last season, said when he first came in, he talked about, I want to get 18,000 season tickets mm. and he said that everyone in that meeting looked at me like I had two heads and absolutely no chance you're going to get to 18,000 but they did and he talked about averaging getting to crowds that are averaging 27 28,000 again no one thought it was possible but here we are um so they decided there's a reason they decided on this 21,000 cap they've done a lot of research into this they've looked at premier league clubs top end championship clubs um and in general, most do about a 70% cap on right. uh, on capacity because that gives you 
a bit of leeway, obviously, to sell away tickets that are different for, for every mm. club that comes. And also being able to sell match day tickets, which are more lucrative, being blunt. You get mm. more money from a match day ticket sale than you do a season ticket sale. But also it, it's important to be able to keep those kind of transient fans, the ones that can't commit to every week, that will want to dip in and dip out and go to the games that they can make still be able to, you know, along the way, they'll be able to enthuse some other fans next season, hopefully. And you want you don't want it to be a completely closed shop to them as the season goes on. So that's why they decided on 21,000 and uh, they've hit it. And we're we're midway into April. Remarkable. Tickets are going to be at a premium next season, aren't they? They're going to be quite hard to get hold of, you'd imagine. They are now, yeah. I think we're talking, yeah. the club was saying about seven seats left for the Charlton game a few days ago. And... Um, you know, I brought some of my family to the Forest Green game a few weeks ago and I'd got so blasé over the years about, oh, yeah, I just grabbed some tickets for them near at the time sort of thing. Yeah. And this is the first time that I've started to have to look look around the stadium to find like three or four seats next to each other. It's um, It just shows you how much this club has been enthused by the, by yeah. the ownership and McKenna and, and a, a relatable team and all the good stuff that we've been talking about. That's that, that thing though, that's not inevitable, is it? Just because a new owner's come in and you, and you get a new man in charge at the helm, that doesn't necessarily mean that this will happen. There is still a hell of a lot of work to do to get that tide going back the other way, wasn't there? And you'd have to say, purely looking off the pitch and the connection between the club, the touchline and the terrace trademark Stuart Watson, um, they haven't really put a foot wrong in that regard, have they? Since they've come in, and with Ashton driving it every step of the way. Yeah, it's not. It's not just the, the results on the pitch, is it? No, um, absolutely it's, not. It's, every, it's everything that's gone into this. It's the love and care that's that's happening around Portman Road. It's a it's a nicer place to come on a match day. It's um, mm. it's all the stuff going on around the foundation that is probably drawing in some. The, the game the other week, I think on Good Friday there was more than a hundred first time fans that they give certificates to young fans, which was a record. So all of these little things, the work in the community, the the visibility of the owners, you can see the money being vested, invested mm. before your eyes. It's, it's McKenna's personality. It's, it's the relatable fan, uh, players in the team. It's all, all of that's gone into the mix to, uh, to create this. And, and I tell you that those days of, sort of the latter days of Mick McCarthy where apathy was at a real high. And I remember, was it the, the Hull game on the way to relegation where they lost 3-0 at home and some of the attendances were being listed as 13,000 officially, yeah. but they were far lower than that, let me tell yeah. you that, because they include season ticket sales, season ticket holders regardless. Yeah. And a lot of those season ticket holders weren't turning up to games. Um, you're only talking, what, five years ago, that, that situation? So... Mm. Um, that feels like a lifetime ago right now. I remember a lot of the time before we went into like midweek games, one of the key stats we had to make sure we had before that was what's the lowest attendance since so-and-so, wasn't it? Because yeah. it was inevitable that there would hardly be anyone there. Um, and now, as you say, in a matter of a matter of a couple of years, really, this, this town tanker has turned around. Mm. Um, and results clearly do help, but there's so much more to it than that. And everything is going in the right direction with this football club. And it's great, isn't it, Stu? Very exciting indeed. Um, I want to talk to you, Stu, about something complete nonsense because I want to get your take on this. We couldn't really talk about it on the pod earlier this week because um, it wasn't yet online. But the most read piece of content this week, head even of your referee piece, was a complete nonsense piece that I did for 
Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, I can't remember what day it was, about this supercomputer, these boffins, at a company called 538, who simulate every every football game in every league and, and all the time. They're constantly updating their predictions for how the league's going to finish. And their latest prediction, we've done it a few times this season because people are fascinated by it. Fascinated. They're, they're titillated by it. It's probably more of a, the word. Um, their latest prediction ahead of these the last six games is that the top three in League One will finish on the same amount of points, which means that the title, the two automatic promotion spots, will be decided on goal difference, Stu. So they're saying that Ipswich Town are going to win the league on 94 points with a superior goal difference. Sheffield Wednesday, also on 94 points, will go up second because of their better goal difference to Plymouth, who will also finish on 94 points, but finish in third and be consigned to the lottery of the playoffs purely because their goal difference, though impressive, is not as good as Towns and Sheffield Wednesday. If that comes to pass, Stu, and clearly it's quite a long shot, but if it comes to pass, how are we going to get through that? I'm not sure my nerves can could take that. That means that every on the final day of the season, up until the final kick of the season, everything will literally hinge on if someone gets a goal somewhere. Yeah. I don't know if my heart can take that <laughs> over these over these next few weeks, but it's felt for quite some time that it's going to go down to the wire and nothing mm. we've seen over the last few weeks has, has made me think otherwise. Um, I'm sure there'll be a few more twists and turns to come, but it, three if three teams finish on 90-plus points and one misses out, my word, that's going to be difficult to kind of pick yourself up off the floor and go again in, in the playoffs, potentially running into someone like Peterborough, just starting to yeah. to score goals for fun. Um, yeah, wow. That uh, just highlights what, what a promotion race we've got going on here at the moment, doesn't it? Could you imagine that, Stu? I mean, fans, obviously, that'd be huge. There'd be It'd be the, the classic live table checking constantly as it stands. But for you as well, sat there at Fleetwood on the final day, you and Hutchie, so many screens open, what the scores elsewhere, what the points, it would be... Uh... <laughs> it might not be the best, probably the stadium <laughs> that I'd pick to be doing it at Fleetwood yeah. <laughs> necessarily. I can't remember what the, uh, the Wi-Fi situation is up there, but hopefully it will, uh, it will do us well. Um, we might get one of those classic old school style transistor radios, you know, back in the day used to get on the, on the final day, fans used to have radios and that's how yeah. they got the scores. And then you'd, you'd hear spontaneous roars or kind of um, booze as, as, as results kind of came in completely. We've just, we've just started getting that. Yeah. Match of the day. You'd always like when they, yeah. inter, when, when they cut between the different games, there's always a shot of someone holding a little radio, isn't there? Yeah. Um, we've had that over the Easter weekend, both on Friday and Monday. Ipswich were temporarily top in both mm. of those games and there was a lovely there's been a lovely couple of little moments especially in the home game where it, there's like a ripple effect it's like a little murmur and the rumor starts to go around it was, oh there's a Plymouth are losing or whatever and then takes the first brave soul to be really sure 100% yeah. sure are we definitely top is this up to date and then they start singing about we are top of the league and then it starts to starts to ripple around the stadium that was that was a great moment especially on the good friday game obviously it didn't last that day it didn't last on monday as well proved it proved a bit premature but um 
yeah, this is this is Ipswich bang in the middle of of this narrative. We've we've had to uh, wait a little while for that. I think um, final day of the 2014-15 season, um, we were keeping very much an eye on results elsewhere. That was, I think, Darren Bent missed a penalty for Derby. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the only reason Ipswich kind of uh, limped over the line into sixth, it, despite having lost it. They lost, didn't they, at Blackburn on the final day? So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, it's, yeah, I don't know if my nerves are going to be able. At the moment, I'm just, I'm smiling. I'm excited about this. Yeah. I'm just pleased it's here. But yeah, give it another few games. I'm sure nerves will will probably be the overriding feeling. And of course, now I assume most people are getting their scores from their phone. Whereas if if Fleetwood is the black hole that you say it is in terms of phone signal, etc., we we could have some proper old school methods being employed um let's see Stu. let's hope it doesn't come to that let's hope town are promoted <laughs> by the time they go to fleetwood uh the other thing i want to get your take on before we start talking about charlton stew is we had a chat on tuesday um about town player of the season the voting's open now supporters club player of the season and he's written a piece about it which is there if you want to go and uh, go and read that where he's kind of picked out a few contenders uh, and we also had a chat on tuesday about andy and roscoe's picks for player of the season i don't want to tell you who they picked um but for the first time in a long time, Stu, there are numerous contenders, several players you could say could deserve potentially to, to lift that. Um, Hutchie and Roscoe both picked the same player. Who would who would you pick sat here now with six games left if you had to cast your vote for Towns Player of the Season? Uh, I haven't seen or heard. I'm genuinely doing this blind, not knowing the others, but I've got a feeling I'll probably be completing the hat trick. I, I'd be going with Sam Morsey. Yeah, that's exactly what they said. What your what's your kind of thinking behind that? Because clearly, if you look at um, the likes of Connor Chaplin, Leif Davis, you know, kind of people who've got really, really impressive stats, um, you would say they'd have to be in, in that kind of conversation as well. Christian Walton, I guess, as well. Um, but Morsey has just been kind of a consistent driving force throughout the whole season, hasn't he? Yeah, I think so. As you've got to take into account his his off field contribution as well mm. you only have to hear the other players talk about his his focus and drive and he's sort of the the mini manager un, underneath McKenna that's kind of reinforcing those important one game at a time mantras and using his own experience of of promotions at, at Wigan and Chesterfield off the pitch and on the pitch he's just been the the beating heart the engine of this team um I think his consistency levels have been remarkable. We talked a few times about almost getting blasé about him being a, a seven out of ten minimum performer mm. every week. Um, popped up with some important goals at, at times, not scored as many this season. But I think he's had to, you know, the, the goal at MK Dons recently came up with the winner when he was needed there. But I think he's changed his role a bit, had to adapt. He's played with different partners this season. Um, had young Cameron Humphreys alongside him for quite a long period of time, had to adapt his game for that. He's seen various people, sort of Lee Evans, get injured. He's now had to adapt again with Massimo Luongo. Um, yeah, and has been a virtual ever-present. So that that's why I would go with, with Sam Morsi. I know it's probably easier to be drawn towards Connor Chaplin's 21 goals this season or Leif Davis. I mean, Leif Davis would probably... I'd be just, it'd be pushing him quite hard because I think mm. we at back end of last season we talked about one main area that Ipswich needed to upgrade was was left back and left side and Leif Davis has 
has really done that. Um, his assists, his set pieces, everything. But you're you're right. You could go through Chaplin, Davis, Christian Walton. Um, I'd want to be trying to find awards for for all of them somehow. You know, I think uh, Cameron Burgess has come on leaps and mm. bounds. I think it, I'd be talking about him being in terms of a, a most improved player or an unsung player. Um, and then you've got the impact of the January boys as well. If, if they'd have been here a little bit longer, you'd, you'd probably be putting like a broadhead into the, the conversation as well. And I've not even mentioned Wes Burns, which seems a little bit unfair, but we have talked about him dipping a little bit at, at stages in this season. So I don't think he's quite pushing pushing for the uh, for the player of the year. It's just nice to have so many options, isn't it, Stu, to kind of reel off there? Because it's been pretty bleak the last few seasons. I said not too long ago, James Wilson won it. Yeah. Um, and he was kind of, well... We've got to give it to someone. <laughs> um, whereas now there are there are so many options, and it's just just what a season, Stu. What a season yeah, I think, to enjoy. I think they're going to do the awards like on the pitch for the final home game. Yeah, I believe the Exeter one, um, which tells you that they've got there's a bit of pride about them, and there's something to actually celebrate. Um, in years gone by, like you say, it's been like who's been the best of the worst in terms yeah. of player of the year, um, and then the. the the awards dues, the players are sort of contractually obliged to turn up for an hour and it's a bit, they're a bit sort of sheepish about, right, get this done, get off on our holidays and forget about that season. So, yeah, completely different vibe this time around. Right then, Stu. Let's talk about Charlton, shall we? There are six games left. Um, six games left to decide the outcome of the season. And that starts with two back-to-back home games, Charlton on Saturday, Port Vale on Tuesday. Um and we talked about Cheltenham being a potentially difficult game, given the form they were in. But Charlton coming to Portman Road, Stu, are also in really good form. They're third in the League One form table over the last six games. They've won four out of the last six games, um, only behind Peterborough and, and Town in that form table. And obviously there's a certain Mr. Macaulay Bond coming back to Portman Road. He has played 15 games for Charlton, a mixture of starts and off the bench. And until recently, he hadn't scored. But then in his last three games, he scored twice, Stu. Almost as if he's getting the legs warmed up for that return to Portman Road. How are we feeling about this one? Let's start with Macaulay Bond. Um, I felt really sorry for Macaulay last summer. He, I mean, he did that interview with, with us where... He just said, I'm just going to tell my story. I know there's mm. going to be a comeback on this, but I'm desperate to come back to Ipswich. And he's left everybody under no illusions how much he loves this football club and how much he loves this town. Didn't go down particularly well at QPR. If you remember their manager uh, at the time, Michael Bill sort of talked about him being misquoted and had yeah. a bit of a laugh with Macaulay <laughs> about that. When he, I mean, he still turns up time to time just to watch as a fan. And I've had a laugh with him about that. And then... As the window went on, it became clear that uh, Ipswich were going down a different route. And then Macaulay saw a move to Charlton collapse on on summer transfer deadline day, you know, was there in the building, I believe, sort of around 11 o'clock. And for whatever reason, it, it fell through. It's kind of sat on his hands a little bit first half of the season at QPR, and, and but has ended up back at Charlton in January, uh, a club that he's been at previously. And... Yeah, understandably, probably taking him a little while to, to get going, having not played it a great deal. But yeah, it feels a little bit ominous that he's just just started coming into the goals. I think he got the sixth in a 6-0 win against yep. Shrewsbury and sort of uh, put a few social media posts to kind of 
self-deprecatingly saying, yeah, I do still know where the back of the net is. Um, I scored another one since then. Um, no guarantee he will start tomorrow because, as you say, he's kind of been in and out of the team. Um, Miles Leeburn has, uh, has uh, been scoring some goals for them this season. So uh, a very, very intriguing subplot. After all the chat around the referee and who he supports and mm. calling into account whether people have got the professionalism to to uh, to perform um, when they've got skin in the fight, as it were. I, I don't know where McCauley's head will be at coming back to Portman Road for this one. Have you got obviously you've got the press this afternoon? I assume a key question for McKenna is going to be if, if Walton's been fitted with wing mirrors for this game. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think you're going to be pulling that one off, McCauley, <laughs> back at Portman Road. That that would be remarkable, wouldn't Imagine. it? Imagine, um, yeah, yeah, I'm sure there'll be a few people wondering how many times he'll be offside as well, which was his, his weakness, um, during that certainly during that second half of last season where he where he dipped massively. Um, I would put every last penny I have on the fact that if he does score, that will be the old muted goal celebration, just ushering away teammates and just sort of gesturing that, you know, he's being very respectful about it. Um, I hope we don't get to see that. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot of narrative around this game, Stu. Clearly, the last time these two sides met, it was the most mental game of football. It's certainly the most mental ending to a game of football that many of us have ever seen and that seemed to have quite a big hangover knock-on effect on town after that game at the valley that 4-4 um so there's that coming into play those kind of scars of that and also of course on top of mccauley bond charlton have got a really bloody dangerous player one of the best young players in the league in raksaki who has just been nominated for, for best young player in league one who's scoring goals for fun um so how, how do you feel about this test how do you feel about Raksaki going up against the likes of Leif Davis? Um, and what, if anything, do you think Town will do with their their side? Yeah, that's going to be an interesting battle because Leif Davis came off towards the end with a mixture of niggles and fatigue. Um, mm. McKenna talked about on on Monday at Cheltenham. Um, missed that game recently, didn't he? When when Greg Lee had to step in at Derby with a, with a hamstring issue, so you just fear that. I've been talking all season like. Don't forget, this is Leif Davis's first proper season of week in, week out men's football. Mm. Um, and maybe some of that is just catching up with him a little bit at the moment. So that feels like it touch wood. I don't want this to be the case, but that could be a, a ticking time bomb there. We'll find out a bit more later what his fitness levels are at. Raksaki has always already been a player that I think has been tentatively mentioned with, with Ipswich. Um, he's on loan from Crystal Palace. He's a young player. He he ticks a lot of the kind of Kieran McKenna profile boxes and Ipswich Town profile boxes in terms of age, attributes, everything like that. So if, if Palace stay up in the Prem, which is looking increasingly likely now, and Ipswich go up, I don't think that's impossible that he could, you know, they'll try and get him to a a, a championship club next mm. season, potentially one like Ipswich. So that, that will be interesting. Scott Fraser, if you want to keep going down some yeah, more yeah. Ips, Ips, Ipswich narrative, somebody who left Ipswich after six months, never really found his place. Paul Cook played him out of position. McKenna talked about how he was desperate to leave last Dan January and how he wanted to be the main man in a team. He's now playing in a you know on the left side of a midfield three and is, is chipping in with a decent amount of goals and assists. I'm sure he's one that will, will have a bit of a point to prove coming back tomorrow. So, um 
interesting match this. Um, I would peg, even though Wickham were kind of higher in the table and, and looked to be the ones that still had a chance of, of getting into the top six, they felt like they were regressing a little bit. They felt like they were in transition. Ainsworth gone, Bloomfield in, and and so it came to pass. I felt quite good about that game, and uh, mm. and and so it was. But this one, um, yeah, you you could potentially peg it as the kind of in form mid table team. Nothing to play for. Shackles are off, enjoying themselves. That that could be awkward for Ipswich, but. Ipswich like playing against teams that that come at them and, have, and yeah. want to have a game of football. So, yeah, I'm I'm hoping that it's the latter. I'd rather be playing someone like this than someone that's kind of scrapping for their lives. That's going to come and play a five man deep block and and frustrate. That's for sure. Hmm. Also, you reminded me before we kicked off, Stu, Matt Penny as well. Of course, in the in the Charlton side, another ex-town player yeah um, he, he can't play obviously because it's parent club but he's not even been making match day squads it doesn't sound like it's uh you know it's a shame because he had a really good first half of the season at motherwell but um yeah their manager dean holden's just said he, he hasn't settled very well and they're actually playing a center center back in um terrell thomas at left back ahead of him at the moment so okay um yeah what about the town side, Stu? We've got used to in recent weeks essentially picking itself that consistency we we so wanted has has emerged um, are there any kind of questions you think? I guess the big question is whether or not Minty's going to be fit um, and the usual kind of question around who plays up top, although that's kind of been answered in itself, hasn't it, in in recent weeks with the uh, the former George Hurst? Yeah, I think so. I think, obviously, George Hurst's goal run stopped uh, on Monday. He'd scored in four successive games before that, was really unlucky, rattled the crossbar after cutting inside from from the left. Um, I think I think they'll keep going with George Hurst. He hasn't got as many sort of miles on the clock this season, having not played a huge amount in the first half of the season. So should should be okay to sort of keep going with him. Mm. Um, yeah, the the two fitness question marks are obviously over Broadhead and, and Leif Davis. I've talked a little bit around Davis. Broadhead has had a bit of punishment to uh, to one of his ankles. Not sure which one over, over the last couple of games, a kick at Derby. Um, aggravated it again in the, the game against Wickham and... Um, yeah, McKenna was talking about a fair amount of uh, bruising on that. So, um, yeah, let's see how he is. It sounds like I is keen to know if if, uh, if Broadhead's playing. Yeah, school holidays, sorry. <laughs> That's fine. Um, if Broadhead isn't fit, Stu, we had this chat a little bit on Tuesday. Marcus Harness is, is obviously the nominal kind of backup on the depth chart. Um, and and he, was, he was pulled off at half-time on, uh, on Monday. Um, missed a, a guilt edge chance, as we say in this uh, cliche-ridden football vernacular. Is there any argument if he if if Broadhead can't play that it should be Carl Edwards who who starts? Yeah, yes, there is. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Harness played the first half on on Monday, missed a really good chance. He can look a little bit loose on the ball at mm. times. His t- he. He does turn over possession a bit too much for my liking, but clearly has got um, attributes. There's a reason that he's been, you know, he scored. His, his numbers have been good at Portsmouth in the past. He, he scored goals and provided assists uh, at the start of his Ipswich Town career. Let's not forget that he had um, quite a long, long injury during the middle of the season that may, maybe has sort of disrupted his flow a little bit, but. If if Marcus Harness has kind of trended downwards this season, I would argue that Kyle Edwards has trended up. 
Mm. There was a time then where we talked about Kyle Edwards. We all know he's full of flair, he's exciting, but the knock on him was what's his consistency levels like? Can he can he perform when you need it the most? Can you rely on him? Can he be trusted? Um, I think he's answered a little bit of that. I think he's he's had an impact on most of the games that he's come on. Remember the game at Cambridge where he came on and completely changed that and got Ipswich Town back in the game, his free kick against Accrington recently, and he provided a real spark on Monday at Cheltenham. They, suddenly they had someone who just wanted to run at people and make something happen. Mm. Um, tucked in off that sort of, that tucked in left-sided role seems to suit him quite nicely as well. So um, that will be a big call between those two um, if, if, uh, if Minty's not fit. I like Edwards. I've got to say, I like the kind of marauding danger that he brings. Um, maybe suits a game like this. Right, and Stu, prediction time. What, what are you going to say? If you had, if if I gave you some fictional money, which obviously I'm incredibly loose at doing. <laughs> Just chuck, <laughs> yeah, why not? Chuck yeah. away some more of that. What do you reckon? Because you said there, it's going to, you, you think obviously it, potentially dangerous game in terms of Cholton coming in form. Um, we'll, we'll fancy it a little bit. There's narrative around McCordy Bar and they've got Raksaki as well. What do you reckon is actually going to happen in terms of the final score? I'll stick with what I said when I recorded the boot room video with Andy yesterday. And Excellent. It, this, this just came straight to my mind. I hadn't thought about a score prediction and in then, but what I would re- what I would like, and therefore what I will predict, yeah, is for Ipswich Town to get a nice one nil win. A solid one nil. A solid one nil. We've had some nice threes and fours recently and they're great yep. you know the good friday the great friday day against wickham's great when they when they race away and they they rack up a good scoreline but what i actually think will be really good is for them to come through a game where they've got to be mentally strong maybe where there's a little bit of anxiety and some nerves in the air at certain stages get mm. back to those clean sheets again and just yeah get themselves a nice solid one nil just show that they can win in, in one of a number of ways, Stu, and, and one nil at home against a potentially dangerous side. Nice. I like it. Um, I would like a 5 nil though. <laughs> <laughs> right, Stu, that brings us to the end of the podcast. Um, 40 minutes of, of podcast gold, I'm sure you'd all agree. Uh, we covered a lot of ground. The other key question I've got for you, Stu, um, is obviously Manscaped have given us the Weed Racker 2.0. You coveted said uh, nasal and ear trimmer. You said that's something you really wanted. You you shared that you had issues with your hairy tragus. Um, have you put the uh, the weed whacker to good use? Have you have you tested it out yet? Yeah, hairy tragus. I've just sniggered at that, and I also <laughs> sniggered at you talking about Marcus Harness getting pulled off at half time <laughs> as well. Uh, I had sorry, I'm, I'm better than that. Um, we are the children of this group. Yeah, I think it's fair to say it's great on the nose. That's what yeah. an absolute treat. Yeah. Um, not so much on the tragus. It's just, it's just one, just one little rogue hair that's quite thick that just comes in the same place every time, and that that get, is that is a pluck job. That one. You need but, to get Mrs. Watson on that, don't you? Because the, the thing is, with the ear, it's quite hard to do your, yourself, isn't it? Hmm. Unless you've got some good lighting and a, a good mirror angle. Um. So yeah. So but your it's, an, it's an excellent piece of kit. Um, yeah. Get yourself to manscape.com. Get yourself KOA. Discount code, 20% yep. off. Um, very good. Very good sort piece your, of kit. Sort your nose and ears right out. As I say, I know 
not everyone's a massive fan of manscaping or indeed ladyscaping, but certainly when you when you're a gentleman of a, a certain age, certain vintage, which I definitely am, and I think you and you and Hutchie are coming into that that range now, you start to worry about your, your nose and your ear hair. The Weed Racker 2.0 is what you need. And as you say, Stu, use the code KOA at manscaped.com for 20 off and free delivery. And also, of course, support our sponsor, Ginger Pickle. I'm wearing the Ginger Pickle badge. Got get the badge in um, for all your digital marketing needs, SEO, Google ads, all sorts of rankings, whatever you need in that sphere. Tony Southgate and Ginger Pickle are the people to go with. So get involved with them. Stu, we've done a nice tight 45-minute show. We've covered a lot of ground. Anything else to mention before we take our leave and get on with the day? You go off to, to find out if Walton's got wing mirrors? Uh, no other business. Excellent. Thanks for listening, friends. If you are going to the game, enjoy it this weekend. Obviously, if you're not, follow it all with us. Um, very, very interesting. The run-in starts now. Uh, all that leaves me to, to remind you there is to support our sponsors I've just done. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes. We've not had a few, one of those for a couple of weeks. That's great. Helps us visibility-wise in the charts and followers across all our social medias, Kings of Anglia on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, I hope you haven't missed us too much in terms of the delayed shows this week. We wanted to get one to you before the game. We'd like to stick to a two flagship show a week status. So there we are. Duly delivered. It's in the books. Have a great weekend, whatever you're doing. And we'll be back next week to break it all down. 